Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In this episode, we're talking about Samsung. If you're an Apple investor, then this is an episode you can't miss. Samsung is one of the world's leading companies in consumer electronics and competes directly with Apple across many, many product lines, most obviously mobile phones. But that's not where it ends. Samsung is a market leader in computer chips, mobile displays, and much more, which makes it like Apple on steroids. So there's a lot to unpack. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan. Joining me, as always, Albert. How are you? Dan, I'm good. I thought this was going to be like a little role reversal because I stayed home last night while you went out and I was hoping you'd also have the, the cheeky Gatorade off screen, but I haven't seen it yet. No, just got water and a cucumber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cucumber, the uh, the cure of all hangovers, as they say. Yeah, not hungover, and I'm surprisingly not not particularly tired either. So um, we're going to power the red, through. The, the Red Bull still running through your veins. Well, I think it's probably because I just generally this is a rare occasion for me. So my body is accustomed. I've built up sleep and other things throughout the years that are that are paying off now. <laughs> this is when we need like an aura ring to be able to track. Uh, how big nights actually affect us. Well, perhaps that aura ring will be, pied, uh, will be powered by tech or chips from Samsung, the company we're going to be breaking down today. Let me just sort of get that segue in there. I'm really keen on this one, Albert. Um, I think I might sort of spoil what my East versus West comparator is fairly, fairly early on in this pod because uh, I think it just sort of sets the scene so well. I mean, lots of our listeners will know Samsung, huge in consumer electronics and across just like so many uh, product ranges. That includes smartphones. Uh, they, they provide semiconductor chips as well, printers, home appliances, metal equipment, telecom network equipment. Um, so there's a lot to dive in. Albert, what do you think about Samsung? Uh, if we're starting with kind of East versus West, I think Samsung is really one of those, those Asian companies, Korean companies who've just permeated globally you don't see too many of them like um particularly in the consumer electronics space who's actually like really really won in the same way that like you know apple has, has won but samsung incredible business yeah it is it is incredible and they sort of go across both lines as we we're discussing off the pod albert is they've got this consumer facing side of their business where they've got you know the whole product they're selling a fridge they're selling a phone, they're selling whatever it might be. And then they've got this back half of their business where they're providing some of the component parts which powers a lot of these products. So that's the semiconductor chips, the OLED screens and displays. So like they're really, they've got a flywheel, which we both obviously really, really like. Albert, where do you want to go first in terms of just breaking down what is the business? Do you want to start looking at their business lines or... How do you want to do it? Yeah, let's talk about, you know, Samsung at, at the top. You know, it's a business, incredibly large business. You know, it generates over 200 billion US dollars in revenue each year. It uh, has several kind of business units, consumer electronics. Uh, these are like, uh, like described as electronics for everyday use, but, you know, basically anything you'd find in the home, whether it's a 
TV, uh, fridge, dishwasher, um, you know, speakers, etc., etc. You name it, anything that you, any electronics that you need for your home. I've got like a Samsung monitor right in front of me. Samsung makes. They've also got then their um, IT and mobile solutions business. So these are like phones, communication systems, computers. They've got a B2B business called Device Solutions. So this is where they've put their memory business and their foundry business. We'll probably talk about those two businesses at length today because they're pretty interesting. Um, as well as the, the LCD and OLED panels that they sell to other companies. So this is really their B2B business as opposed to their consumer business. And then they've got uh, one last business unit here called uh, SLSI or System Large Scale Integration where they actually do the design and build of semiconductors. So their, their previous business was really like fabulous design where this one is includes, um, you know, every kind of, uh, semiconductor part of their business that manufactures and designs semiconductors for mobile devices, the consumer devices they build, cameras, which is a pretty big part of their business, um, as well as uh, very specific semiconductors for things like IoT devices, autonomous vehicles, and other mobility devices. But I'm sure we'll kind of double-click on each of those things as we move through Samsung. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> When we made the pivot, Albert, to start looking into Asian com- uh, Asian companies, I think we should have realized that it's going to create some complexity on the pod because these businesses, they just do sort of bits of everything. And I think maybe that's a good place to sort of start with some of the history of Samsung. You know, it, it's one of the classic uh, Korean chaebols, which are these sort of, what would you call them, Albert? It's like these monoliths, these huge companies, which have these sort of family um, background roots. For Samsung, started with a huge manufacturing presence, sort of post-war, and then that's built out into these all these other sections. You know, the electronics, con- the consumer electronics, all that. That's actually sort of relatively recent in the past couple of decades. But Samsung has been around for a long, long time, and has been a huge company for a long, long time. Yeah, I always think of these giant businesses um, as like the company in Inception that they're initially trying to break into. Yeah, at the very start of Inception, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is trying to break into the mind of Saito, who's like the, the president of a Japanese conglomerate. And so I always think about all these businesses in the kind of same lens, which is like these are the, these huge giant businesses that because they started, you know, in the um, you know mid to early 20th century, they've kind of permeated as globalization, kind of moved through the world, and they rode that tailwind. And so they've become hugely successful, and Samsung's become hugely successful as a result of that. So Albert, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of give my quick overview of some of these business units, business lines, and then I just want you to double-click on whatever you find sort of interesting. So from my sort of top-level view, how I sort of see the common through line across Samsung's business lines is like, and what I love about them, they're basically number one or number two in all of their sort of product lines. So if we're looking at you know TV screens, they're number one in global market share. They've been number one for 16 years. They've got 29% global market share. So for every unit that's sold, every sort of TV that's sold, or smart signage, by which you know you mean like outdoor advertising signs, etc. Three out of ten are Samsung. That's insane. Ten years they've been number one for 
home appliances in terms of revenue. So they've got 21% of the global market for fridges, 16% of the global market for dishwashers. So like very, very, very much so top end of the market. We know for phones, they're a premium product. They're essentially up there with Apple in terms of units sold being out there as you know, one of the top uh, Android powered phones on the market. Um, most of their phones are sort of mobile. So most of their phones are powered by their displays. Um, you know, their mobiles take up about 95% of their revenue for displays, whereas their TVs only make up about 5% of their display revenue. So it just goes to show some of the synergies within their business where if their mobile phone sales are going really, really well, their display business is also going to go really, really well. So like that's some of the key things which I'm really liking about Samsung's business model. Yeah, what what's so impressive is that they actually, for particularly for their TV business, they have um, more market share than the next two competitors, Sony and LG combined, which is pretty crazy to think about. And then they've almost got half the the phone um, market cornered in terms of phone displays. Like that is incredible, kind of like uh, market dominance in the screen industry. Like you know. TVs, computer screens, phone screens. When you think about how much time people spend looking at their screens these days, and that's a Samsung screen, that's an incredible position of power to be in from a market perspective. Yeah, I mean, they talk about this in some of their investor um, materials, is the idea that their customers are going to be surrounded by Samsung throughout the whole day. You know, and that's like you imagine they enter the home, they're turning on the Samsung appliances. They're using a Samsung phone. They go and work at their desk with a Samsung screen, Samsung notebook, all these sorts of appliances. And this is where I want to bring in my Western comparator, Albert, because I think so much people talk about Apple, and I'm fairly sure in our podcast on Apple, we were talking about you know they could start moving into the home appliance sector and really taking that over. And the funny thing is, Samsung's already there. <laughs> so it's almost like when we talk about looking at Asian companies as comparators to the West as a window into the future, when we look at some of the potential that Apple has, it's actually being realized by Samsung right now. And that's why that's my East versus West comparator. I feel like Samsung is already a more diversified, broader church than what Apple is. And they're doing it really well. They're obviously succeeding, being number one in some of these product lines. Yeah, that's a great comparison. And so, while we're talking about consumer electronics, it's probably worth keeping pulling that thread. So, I think the key differentiator between Apple and Samsung historically, I'm going to say historically with emphasis, is uh, like the design and user experience of their product. It's like when you look at an app product, you get like a very premium feel. Everything about it is premium, like the way you open the box and the box is carefully designed so it lifts slowly to how the phone looks. It's very sleek. All their products look incredibly sleek. Like, you know, you've got the laptop, which is, you know, made from one piece of aluminium. You know, you've got the AirPods that look super sleek. And and other competitors, including Samsung, just built electronics like they didn't have the design component nailed down that's actually changing significantly now where i don't know if you've ever looked at the samsung's kind of latest catalog but in doing my research um and i've been also looking for a tv so this is timely (laughs) is that 
Samsung have also started to move and play in this space of really well-designed products. They've got this incredible TV called the Serif TV. I don't know if you know it, Dan. No. Yeah, maybe maybe Google it while I kind of riff off on it. The Serif TV is this like incredibly beautifully designed Samsung TV that is built to look like a standing piece of art. And so that if you're not using a watching TV, it can just stand there in your kind of living room, in your apartment, in your bedroom or whatnot, um, as a, a display that, that can show different pieces of art, NFTs, etc. But just the way it's been designed is so, like, you know, static. It's so aesthetic. Uh, it doesn't look like a TV. It looks like a picture frame. It looks like mm, something Apple yeah. would build is, is what I would call it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. And I think this this is a good comparison to Apple because if you think about sort of the turn of the decade, a little bit earlier, so I think it's around 2008 sort of period, the big thing was Apple suing Samsung for trademark infringement of the Apple iPhone with the Samsung Galaxy. And ultimately a court awarded uh, Apple a $1 billion sort of payout from Samsung because they agreed saying that, yes, Samsung ripped off a lot of Apple's design. And to go from there to where they are now, Albert, where I think you could say they are on equal terms with Apple in terms of designing new and innovative, fresh things. If you look at their phone catalog at the moment, it's filled with these foldable phones. They seem to really have gone in deep saying like, this is our market differentiator. We're going to be known for our foldable, flippable smartphones. And so funny, last night I was at a dinner, Albert, I was talking to someone who works in advertising. His company works with Samsung for their ads. And he says that, you know, from their sort of internal marketing data, et cetera, people, focus groups, love the foldable, flippable Samsung phones. Like that's such a big catch for them. It's a gimmick that I thought, you know, I'm not particularly into, but it seems to be they're hitting on something here with, as you say, Albert, an innovative home sort of grown design idea, which they're implementing. Who are they, who are they um, using as their focus group? Like people from like 2006. <laughs> that's what I would think, Albert. But hey, we're both data-driven people. If that's what the focus groups are saying, we've just got to sort of take it. I don't know. It's about it's about the quality of the inputs to begin with. But, you know, I'll, I'll pay that. I'll pay that for lack of better data. I think before we move off this point, though, you know, the Serif TV is just one example. But as you look through their catalog, you know, they've got these incredibly, you know, well-crafted computer monitors. They've also got, I don't know if you've been seeing the ads for this, their Freestyle projector, which is like a $1,000 projector, very portable. And you just plug in via USB-C and it shows you know, a screen projected onto a white wall. Like, it is, once again, a very nicely crafted piece of consumer electronics that you could show someone and they would either think it came from Apple or Xiaomi or Google in the way that it's just so, like, minimalistly designed. Nice. All right, Albert, well, do you want to start talking about how they win? Yeah, so, I mean, we've only talked about their consumer business, so do you want to keep talking about other parts of their business or do you want to kind of shift towards how their consumer business has started to win and then talk about other parts of their business? I think let's shift. Uh, Anyone who wants to know more about sort of the uh, computer chip foundry business, go check out our TSM episode. Um, I think there's a lot there. 
I think we will get into a little bit of that when we talk about, you know, perhaps some of the challenges to Samsung because that's a part of their business which hasn't been going as well as they would have liked. But I think if I look at Samsung, Albert, I think it's mostly the consumer electronics which are going to be driving it for the next couple of years. Agree to disagree? Yeah, I probably disagree on that just because that B2B space is so large and where they've kind of built a really kind of strong foundation is the kind of integration of their foundry business across other parts of their business. Okay, so let's I, do a quick hit on that. Go for a it. Key, a key theme that we've talked about a lot is kind of autonomous vehicles using, you know, vision, you know, two yeah. schools of thought to build an autonomous vehicle, sensing versus vision. People think that vision's the best way to go. As Elon says, people can drive with two eyes, cars can drive with cameras. So, um, where Samsung have, you know, really started to dive deep into is autonomous vehicles, particularly around camera sensing and in camera vision. And so, obviously, Samsung's got their, you know, very strong background in memory and semiconductors, memory being DRAM, which is dynamic random access memory, and NAD, um, which I've seemed to have lost the, uh, the rest of the wording for. But uh, effectively, they're the, the flash memory and the temporary storage within a PC or a mobile device. And so you can store information there and quickly process it. Samsung are combining the expertise in like storage and processing with their ability to build very great, well-designed chips and their kind of mobile camera into autonomous vehicle cameras, as well as, you know, more broadly, IoT devices, to then really build out this like 5G autonomous vehicle IoT business, which they really see as the future. Like if you go through some of their uh, investor reports, particularly in the past two years, they really talk about like this is the next wave for us. Like the first wave was like cloud infrastructure, and they managed to kind of ride that wave through, you know, their DRAM and NAD business by by building and putting storage into, you know, PCs, servers, mobile devices. The next wave that they see is kind of smart cities and IoT infrastructure that's powered by 5G. So they're building computer chips that, that enable 5G. They're building DRAM and NAD that let you process data from 5G very quickly. Then they see like cloud and on-edge computing as the next big thing. But really what they see on the horizon and what they're building towards is AI. And then the next step of that is like applications towards automotive and smart cities, which is like where their key investment areas are at the moment. So I think Samsung could be one of those like low key players in the autonomous vehicle space that people aren't really looking out for because people are so kind of enamored with other players at the moment. Yep. Yep. Agree with all of that. Um, you know, my sort of takeaway with Samsung is because, you know, they are spread across so many different sectors and verticals, you know, how do I think they win? To go back to that question, I think it's just that, you know, they're at the center of a lot of growing markets. Um, you know, I think more people are going to be buying phones, more people are going to be buying things with screens on them, more people are going to be buying things, to your point about autonomous vehicles, Albert, that require their chips and component parts. And as, you know, a number one, number two, number three market share lead in a lot of these verticals, they're naturally, I think, just going to ride the wave and rise with it. That's sort of my big picture takeaway on Samsung. But that doesn't mean I think there's there's not going to be obstacles. And in their sort of 
uh, computer chip business, I think there are a couple of, of problems. One of which is like, I think it was two or three years ago, 2019, they made this sort of bold claim that we're going to go after TSM, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. They said, you know, we're going to be the market leader. And since then, they've actually gone back in terms of market share against TSM. So right now, in terms of global share of chip foundries, TSM is 53%, Samsung is 16%. And you know, a couple of years ago, I think they were closer to 20, and now they've sort of dropped back. So really, you know, there's a failure there in their ambitions, there's been a clean out of some of their top execs for their foundry business. And I think they're just finding it's really, really hard to take that next step from you know a number two to someone competing for number one. But where they are positioned, I think is perfect just for taking advantage of you know the tailwinds. There's 22 companies in the world which sort of provide um, computer chips. It's just really a matter, and this is where we deep dive in, it's a matter of how thin those chips are, as we've spoken of. And there's only two companies in the world, TSM and Samsung, that can produce chips 7 nano NM and under. And now they're up to like, you know, 3 NM as sort of being the cutting edge technology. That gives them a huge, huge edge. Because as you say, Albert, the most innovative technologies, the ones like smart cities, autonomous vehicles, they're using that latest cutting edge chip. And as that market tends to grow, they've got a bit of a monopoly in terms of like they're just the only provider who can manufacture that chip. So there's some challenges, but also they're really well positioned as well. Yeah, I think for Samsung, the key challenge is that they compete with their customers. And so no one's going to contract Samsung to build their semiconductors because there is the conflict. Like Apple's not going to go to Samsung, even if they've got a deeper capability to build their chips because Samsung competes with Apple and the smartphone, which is why TSMC can maintain the market share that they have and probably will continue to maintain the market share they have, you know, despite them converging around three nanometer chips. Uh, Yes and no. I I sort of agree to disagree on that one because as we're sort of speaking a little bit um, before, I I think there's just realities of supply chain, you know, like so I think in a perfect world, you're absolutely right. Like if we could you know, uh, how do they call it, you know, everything everything being equal, we choose our competitor, we choose some company that's completely independent. Of course, you don't choose your competitor to supply your products. But in this world and this supply chain, we already have talked about in other episodes, the shortages of chips available. It's like they're, they're in a position where Apple has to contract out the supply of some of the materials to Samsung. But something I found fascinating was, you know, the iPhone 10, which, okay, it's a couple of iterations ago, and Apple has diversified their supply chain since then. The iPhone 10, every iPhone 10 sold, uh, that was $110 in Samsung's pocket in terms of material goods because they were providing the screen and some of the chips for that phone. That was actually more than the revenue of some of Samsung's own uh, mobile phones at that time in terms of the... uh, component manufacturing side of Samsung selling to its mobile phone um, side of the business, they actually made more out of selling to the Apple phone side of the business. So that's just to show that I think you know these relationships are really, really complex. These relationships were going on during their $1 billion you know, lawsuit dispute with Apple. It, it's not right just to say like they won't do business with them because they're a competitor. They have to do business with them to a certain extent. 
taking the point that you know they're not going to be full on giving them contracts wherever they can, but it's just an inevitability that there's going to be some level of business between them. Oh, I, I don't disagree on that point. I, I just look at like if you're the some of the two biggest players in the space, Apple and Nvidia, <clears throat> and both of those companies compete with Samsung, like NVIDIA competes kind of in the B2B space. Like, you know, we've talked about NVIDIA in the pod. They're also making really big moves in the IoT, in the 5G, in the autonomous vehicle space in the same way Samsung does. Apple obviously competing in consumer electronics. Like, you're not going to go to Samsung, who's your biggest competitor, and ask them to build the majority of the key infrastructure, which is the semiconductor, in your product. You're going to go to someone who's probably more neutral like TSMC, all things equal. And right now, TSMC are ahead. But if, if you imagine that a world where Samsung could pull ahead, which is pretty unlikely, that that you know that still wouldn't change the relationship between TSMC, NVIDIA, and Apple. You know, I, I can see a world, though, Albert. Like, the easiest world that I see is just this. And, and Samsung has invested billions of dollars of setting up foundries, new ones in Texas, And it's a very clear play to me. Like we talked, I think, on the TSM episode of the idea of like in an East versus West conflict, which is obviously a China versus America conflict, and the world supply of computer chips gets basically split in half. We've got these Chinese foundries or Chinese-based foundries. That supply is going to be cut off. And it's clear that Samsung's made the commercial decision. Let's start building some foundries in America. And in the event that happens we're going to be the go-to supply. So like that to me is the easy example of like, what's the future I can see? You know, international conflict between China and the US, Apple has to switch supply from TSM to Samsung. Yeah, I guess if I saw a world where you had international conflict, the, the US would probably rely on a company like Texas Instruments, who is American, to build their Wouldn't their have chips. enough supply, but yeah, you're right. But yeah. those those sorts of things would happen. That's right. Well, I, I think in the, the say like in the normal course of competitive dynamics, like you wouldn't ask your biggest supplier or your your, your biggest uh, your biggest competitor or one of your biggest competitors to also be the key supplier to your core product, especially when they supply heaps of other competitors. Like it just yep. it's a huge concentration risk. Yep. Yep, agree. And so, the, you know, that's sort of the point. Since the iPhone 10, Apple has diversified away sort of their screen supply chain to bring in LG to help manufacture some of those screens. So as you say, Albert, that diversifying that risk. Um, what do you want to hit next, Albert? Yeah, so I think, you know, as we kind of wrap up the tail on this pod, uh, I think to me, I just want to call out that like Samsung is an incredibly successful business and a probably a good case study is like, what it takes to scale uh, an Asian business in a Western world. But I think the key quality I want to quickly talk about, Dan, is like, can it be replicated? Like, is Samsung just a benefactor of the fact that it started in the mid-20th century and could ride the tailwinds of globalization? Like, will there be other successful companies that emerge out of this region in the same way that, like, Samsung has done globally? Like, I, will, I probably would comp Xiaomi. Do you think Xiaomi could be as successful as Samsung? Yeah, that's a, that's a great call out. That's a great call out. And I think that's been uh, the stalking horse, to use a sort of strange analogy, to Apple and, and Samsung. They're on the premium side of things. When we did the Xiaomi episode, you know, 
it, it blew my mind seeing like how quickly they have risen in prominence in terms of taking market share. You know, they're huge in India, Xiaomi, which is the second largest mobile phone market in the world. Um, and they're taking market share off Samsung and Apple because they're basically providing a cheaper product, uh, but just as high quality, you know, as, as close to high quality as, as they can. So I can see that world sort of happening. And I think it would happen, you know, not consistently across markets. You know, the way these sort of things play out is, you know, you drop into a certain city or a certain country and that happens to be like, you know, a Samsung town or an Apple town because they've concentrated marketing efforts, promotional efforts there. And so you sort of get this unevenness to the distribution. But I can absolutely see a world where others sort of replicate and sort of take market share off Samsung. The thing though for me is like, I, I just think it is a growing market. Like I think there's just going to be increased mobile phone penetration, particularly in that developing world as we've talked about. Um, as sort of the average income rises as well, people who currently have smartphones will move up the value chain to perhaps having Samsungs or Apple phones. So to me, there's just there's always going to be a place for Samsung. So I don't sort of have the worry that they're going to get re replicated and then sort of drop down. Uh, you know, I think they might get replicated, but they're going to keep their, their general market share. Yeah, it is. It is tough because they're all converging. Like I look at the suite of products for each of these companies and they're very similar, particularly when you stack Xiaomi up against Samsung. Like they all really nicely well-designed products that integrate well with other players. You know, they've got, a, Xiaomi's got a, obviously a big broad brush of consumer electronics in the same way that Samsung does, albeit, you know, slightly different business models. And you can check out our Xiaomi episode to understand how quickly Xiaomi's kind of scaled its business. And so, uh, to me, I think the key thing is like how much people would trust a Chinese company. Yep. But uh, I think those things change over time. You know, perceptions change over time. The funny thing about consumer electronics is there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, we talk about this social media apps like with Snapchat and TikTok. Sometimes they're in and sometimes they're just out. You know, I don't know if it's just, it's a coolness factor. It's whatever it is. And that's why I, I'm, I was surprised after doing my research, just sort of like, how much I feel like the future of Samsung's mobile phone business will depend on how well this this um, flip phone sort of does, because that's something Xiaomi can't copy. Because there's so much R and D and tech that goes into that that it, it, you just it's it's really really hard to make that product. And I think it's clear to me that Samsung's doing this as a way to have a unique value proposition and to separate itself from the competitors, the pretenders. Uh, and I think it's a really smart move. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. I, I think the the interesting business though uh, for Samsung is like consumer sentiment is so fickle. To your point, which is like you, it's so hard to really understand what consumers want. And then the, the key challenge with like hardware is that if you build the wrong thing, like you're kind of fucked. Like because you've got to build a shitload of phones, and, and you've got to spend a lot of time building manufacturing capabilities, shipping it perfecting the design, et cetera. Like it's very different to consumer software or a consumer app where you can quickly test and iterate it. And if it doesn't work out, the the initial investment isn't the same. And so I think that is a challenge as you see more people come into this like incredibly saturated market, whether it's not just phones, but consumer electronics holistically. Like if you launch the wrong product and you've invested 
not only manufacturing time, effort, etc. Like it doesn't look good to the rest of your business and to your shareholders. Yeah, I'm not sure if you know about this, Albert, or not, but my understanding of Xiaomi isn't really in like sort of the uh, telecom side of things in the same way that like Huawei is. Is that is that right? Yeah, they they, they mainly do kind of manufacture and design. Yeah, yeah, and so that's something to me which is a key differentiator of Samsung is like they're they're right up there in terms of like five G connectivity, being on the cutting edge of that in terms of cellular technology. Back when those sort of Apple versus Samsung legal disputes, they actually won some countersuits against Apple for them stealing designs to do with um, some of the AT and T cellular uh, iPhones. So like they're they're a market leader in that as well. And if you think of you know the smart home, the smart city that we talk about, the idea that I can walk into my home and I can say, "Hey Bixby, turn on my washing machine," you know, start vacuuming the house, that sorts of things. It's because those devices are connected, you know, wirelessly to things, connected to five G, and that's probably a, a differentiator that Xiaomi can't replicate at the moment because they're just they're not playing in that space as well. Yeah, they, they they definitely can't. Like, I mean, we kind of touched upon it here, but they even if they can build nice products, they don't have the DRAM, they don't have the NAD to do the processing. You don't have the semiconductors to actually process that efficiently in the same way that Samsung does. And so, you know, as you push through like connected devices and actually making them work really well, I just think Samsung's got the edge here. Yeah, and like a clear sign that they're doing so well on the connected side of things is like their TVs, Apple has made a deal with them so that people can have, you know, like AirPlay, iTunes, etc. built in to the Samsung TVs rather than having to have the Apple TV set box, which I think is just a clear uh, signal basically that like, you know, Samsung got such a good product that Apple is now going to them, which is very, very rare because usually Apple is very fixed and sort of being like, you know, we've got our own ecosystem, and if you want to participate in that ecosystem, you have to buy an Apple product. But here they've compromised and they basically said, you know, you can access some of Apple's ecosystem through a Samsung TV, which is which is huge. Yeah, let's um let's round out, Dan. Um, final verdict, thoughts on Samsung, closing remarks. I I love it. I love it. As I was talking through this uh, today, Albert, I've actually I've grown to love it even more. I like my comp when I think of like, you know, this is what Apple could be, having a finger in all of these different pies, really, really synergizing across those business units where you've got one scratching the back of the other, scratching the back of the other. You know, to me, it's a really well-developed business. And even if you could, you know, throw out some challenges at their foundry computer chip sort of vertical and say, you know, it's not doing as well, as they would like it to be doing, which is absolutely true. As a whole, across all these business sectors, I think they're going to do really, really well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I like Samsung as a business. I think the key call out I would say is like Apple could never be Samsung because they're just too risk adverse as an organization and they're too slow to ro- launch new products. Like, like if Apple was to launch a TV, they would launch a TV and it would be incredible but they would do it in the slowest, worst possible way ever. And, and not so, have one model. And have one model, exactly, exactly. So I, I personally don't think Apple is, is it could ever be Samsung because culturally they're just such different businesses. 
Yeah, I like it. I would just call out that I think the next couple of years will be tough. There's obviously like a slowing of consumer spend because of all the inflation, et cetera, et cetera. People are buying less phones. People are buying less computers. Uh, so it just means that, you know, maybe a, a dip is coming, but I think in the future, great long-term business. Any other final thoughts, Albert? Would you change your phone to Samsung? I think that's like the key question for me now that we've talked it up. Uh, yeah, if I paid for my phones, I would. So if you know, if my dad ever decides to switch to Samsung and then gives me his old Samsung, I'd, I'd totally use it. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I, I guess I probably wouldn't because I'm too locked into the Apple ecosystem. <laughs> Get on the Samsung ecosystem, Albert. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a great sponsored episode, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, right, we, we won't do sponsored episodes like this again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. Catch you next week. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.